0: First Timothy chapter 3, and uh, we finished off chapter 2 on our last Sunday morning in First Timothy. Last Sunday was homecoming, so took a little detour, but we're in First Timothy on Sunday mornings, and just to be honest, it's been the, I don't know, it's been tough to preach through First Timothy on Sunday mornings because I look at it and I think, I don't know if it's a Sunday morning kind of message, you know, people come in and they need help and you know, maybe they been going through a valley or through a storm or maybe you know discouraged or something, and you look at this and think, well, this isn't really that kind of stuff. This is just how God orders and structures His church. But I, wanna, I want you to give me just a little bit. How I many you give me 30 minutes? Now, I'm going to take longer than that, but at least give me 30 minutes, all right? And then I'm going to take an hour. So what is that, an hour and a half? I'll take an hour. You give me another 30 minutes. But I believe these passages are, are relevant to all of us, These verses, not just to that of a a pastor. And that is the subject this morning, is speaking of a pastor. A lot of times we call it qualifications of a pastor. I'm not sure if that's the best word for it, but I may use that word just for lack of another one. But I want to uh, begin in verse number one, and we're going to read down to verse number seven. And uh, that's our text this morning. Don't tune me out, all right? Just, Just stay with me, all right? Hang with me. At least 30 minutes. After 30 minutes, you can do what you want. All right. Verse 1. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, Not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are... Without lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. I want to stop reading right there. And last week we talked about it was a word for the women. And uh, tonight, actually I think we're going to stay in 1 Timothy and just stay in it for tonight too because I want to talk about the deacons tonight, all right? So I'm going to get the deacons tonight. I'm going to talk about a decree for the deacons. But this morning we're going to talk about a passage for the pastor. Because that's exactly what this passage is. It is a passage for the pastor. Or really, I guess the title would be better suited. I title it a passage for the pastor. But probably better suited a passage for the pastorate. Because it speaks more of the office. And I want you to see that here with me this morning. Why don't we pray together and just stay with me. Think, man, this ain't applicable to me. I promise you it is. I promise you it is. And I want to show you how it is. And uh, pray with me. Pray for me, okay? Father, we love you. We're thankful for the Word of God, Lord. We would be lost. We would be wondering uh, what to do, and just trying to make things up as we went along, if it wasn't for Your Word that leads us and guides us. And Lord, I pray that it would help us this morning. And Lord, I pray that You would help us to make this uh, this text, uh, Lord, uh, applicable to our own lives. Lord, I pray that we would examine ourselves and and our own lives this morning. Touch me and help me, Lord. Give me wisdom, Lord, beyond my years. And, Lord, I pray that you'd give me unction from another world to preach your word. And, uh, Lord, just give me liberty to preach, I pray, and liberty for the congregation to receive it. And most of all, get glory unto yourself. Do what needs to be done. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, these scriptures that we've read this morning, the scripture, this passage talks about uh, the, the benchmarks, the qualities that ought to be exhibited in somebody that is a candidate for the office of a pastor. And I read this years ago, I looked it up and found it, that somebody once tried to give a description of maybe the perfect pastor. And uh, no, it didn't have my name under it uh, right there, I promise you. But it sounded a little something like this, and I thought it was about right. That's probably what people think. Somebody once tried to give a description of the perfect pastor... And it says that the perfect pastor preaches exactly 10 minutes. He condemns sin roundly, but he never hurts anyone's feelings. He works from 8 a.m. until midnight and is also the church janitor. He makes uh, $40 a week. He wears good clothes, drives a good car, buys good books, and he donates $30 a week to the church. He's 29 years old and has 40 years of experience. And above all, he's handsome. The perfect pastor has a burning desire to work with teenagers after he spends most of his time with the senior citizens. He smiles all the time with a straight face because he has a sense of humor that keeps him seriously dedicated to the church. He makes 15 home visits a day and is always in his office to be handy when needed. The perfect pastor always has time for every church function and all of its committees. He never misses the meeting of any church organization and is always taking care of his family and stays busy evangelizing the unchurched. The perfect pastor is always in the next church over. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Well, that's about right. You'd be surprised the expectations that people have for the pastor. You'd be surprised, maybe not, but uh, things that people expect the pastor to be and do that's never in the Word of God. But we must look at what the Bible does say about it. By the way, I would tell you this, that uh, the perfect pastor does not exist. He is non-existent. He is like uh, the Tooth Fairy and other holiday figures. Um, he does uh, only exist in fairy tales and things like that. Uh, but yet people expect perfection out of the office of passion. The reason there is no perfect pastor is because there are no perfect people. And since only humans uh, can uh, take up the office of a pastor, well, by de facto there, you don't get a perfect pastor. And this church certainly does not have one, not even, not even close. But our text today, I think if we examine it closely, it's not demanding perfection out of whoever fills this office, but it does elevate this office to a place to where we must hold men accountable uh, who have a desire and feel like they have a calling to fill this office. In fact, really in context, Paul has been speaking, if we go back to what we looked at at the end of chapter 2, he's been speaking about the role of men and women in the church. He talks about how women are to be submissive, right? And and not to have authority over the man and the church and and how the church is run by male authority and all those things. That's in the Word of God. That's not chauvinistic. That's that's, that's Bible right there. And that's all in chapter number 2 at the end uh, of the chapter. And we looked at those things, but it makes it very clear that just because somebody is a male, just because there's a man, that does not automatically qualify them for leadership in the church. It's not that every woman ought to submit to every man. It's not that any old man, just, you know, is he a male? Then, okay, then he's qualified to be the pastor. No, there is a bar that is raised. There are important qualities that God expects uh, from the one who feels this office, and he is to model these things, and he is to be after these things, and he is to uh, exemplify these things before the church. Now, what do you do when you come to a passage of Scripture that you look at and you feel like, you know what, I really don't know if that's for me. I'm thinking about the ladies in our church. You read that right there and you think, well, I'm not a man, I'm not a pastor, I'm never going to be. You can just kind of skip those verses right there, right? Right? Somebody else thinks, well, I'm I'm not a pastor. I'm never going to be. I don't need these verses right right here. What do you do when you come to a passage that you feel like maybe is not for you? Well, I thought about, first of all, what you need to do is you need to look again because it probably is. You're probably wrong. (laughs) Uh, You need to double check. Do a little discount double check, all right? Because the Bible says that all Scripture is profitable and it's profitable for everybody. In fact, if you want to be honest about it, this passage we just read, it's not two pastors. This passage that we read is not telling pastors how they ought to live. That's not what this is. This, pa- this passage is to the pastor, one, of a local church, to instruct them what to look for in ordaining and raising up future potential leaders in the church. This is what you ought to look for. This is not Now, certainly, it, this text can be used... For the pastor to look at, and he ought to examine his life. This is what he ought to be, no doubt about that. But it is the church's job. Did you know that when we send out a preacher, when we uh, ordain a preacher, something like that, it is the church that does the ordination? In fact, in our type of, uh, I'm not, you know, we haven't done a whole lot of them around here, but the few I've been a part of, and even my ordination, it's the church that ordains the pastor. When I was ordained to be a pastor, it was my home church. Now, it was a little different because Uh, My home church was the church I was going to pastor at the time. So they were both receiving me and sending me, I guess, all at the same time. But what it was, they made it very clear... That it was the church that was ordaining me. They turned me over to what was called the presbytery. It was a group of ordained men, a group of ordained preachers, and they examined me, they asked me questions, and they charged me, and they challenged me, and they made me commit to some things, and, and, and they made sure my doctrine was right, and all these things. They, The church is the one that turned me over to them, and then at the end of that ordination service, the presbytery, those group of deacons and pastors, they turned me back over to the church. All right? I'm just glad I wasn't turned over to the devil. Amen. That was a blessing. But they turned me back over to the church. You know why? Because it was the church that ordained me. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something. I don't care who you are, what your role is. If you're a part of this church, you're a part of this church. We all have, we all have part in who we lay hands on, who we identify with, who we associate with. And I'm going to tell you the reason why we have a lot of unqualified men in the pulpits is because we have a lot of ignorant people in the pews. That's not... I'm not saying that derogatory. I'm just saying people, they don't know. When I say ignorant, I don't mean they're stupid... They're smart people, but when it comes to what the Bible says about who is qualified to preach and who's not, they just don't know. And so anybody that seems sincere, anybody that has a desire, and it does talk about a desire, but it's more than just a desire. It's more than just saying, hey, I want to be a pastor, or hey, I want to fill this office. It's more than that. There There is a lot more to it than that. And you as a church, you are responsible for who we put our hands on and ordain. So you need to know it. This next generation needs to know it. Amen. Seems like the only time sometimes these things are preached, these truths are preached, and the only time they hear it is maybe at an ordination. It's only every other, you know, every other decade or so we'll talk about these things. Man, this young generation, listen, this front row right here, they're going to be the deacons and the preachers and they're going to be the Sunday school teachers and they're going to be leading this thing before too long. It won't be that long. Right. Well, that long ago I was sitting right there on the front row. With my Bible in my hand as a young man, I'm thankful for those that instructed me. That's exactly what this whole letter is about in 1 Timothy. How people ought to behave in the house of God. How are they going to know if they don't know? You see a lot of the stuff that's going around today in the name of church, a bunch of clowns running, circuses. You know why? It's because people just didn't know. I didn't know. Pastors didn't care to... Tell the next generation and try to explain these things to them. So I know it's Sunday morning, and I know we're all going through a lot of things, but we need to know these things are important. Yeah. We need to know these things. Let me tell you Let me tell you another reason why this is written. When you come to a passage of Scripture, let me help you with your, with your Bible reading, your Bible study, just for a second. When you come to a passage of Scripture and you think, you know what, that's that's that that's not really for me right there. Especially you think about things in the Old Testament. There are, listen, there's things in the Bible that were not written to you. It's all for us, but it doesn't mean it's to us. There's promises that were given to the nation of Israel. That's not, that's not to us. We can't lay hold and claim, on those, claim those promises for us. What does that mean? Let me just skip over them. No, 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 no. Let me tell you what you do when you come to a passage that you look at and you think, man, I don't know if this is to me. I don't know if this has anything to do with me at all. I'm tell you what you do. You always need to study it. And you need to examine it. Let me tell you why. Because every word of God that we have in that Bible right there, it in some way is a revelation of the character of God. We cannot know God apart from that Bible right there. That's the only way that you can ever know about God is to that Bible. And see, a lot of people think they know God, but they want to go around the Bible. And really, they're not fellowshipping with the God of the Bible and the God that actually exists. They've made some idol in their mind that is for everything they're for and against everything they're against and likes everything they like and dislikes everything they don't like. And so they form some God in their mind that's not the God of the Bible. If you're going to worship the God of the Bible, you got to know who He is. And from Genesis to Revelation, every word in your Bible is a revelation and exposure of the character of God. It tells me who God is. So when I read a promise to Israel, we'll just take like a like a like a, a, a most popular one about uh, revi- people use it talking about revival. Stuff. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven and heal them. When we read a verse like that, well, that passage, I can't claim that promise. That wasn't written to me. But what does that verse tell me about God? It tells me about a God that is able to turn things around. We have a God that wants to forgive, wants to pardon, wants to change. Amen. We have a God that's able to do it. He's able to turn this church around. He's able to turn your home around. He's able to turn this nation around. I believe that as much. What the preacher was talking about the other night, I think it was was Wednesday night, Brother Jacob preaching about nationwide revival and stuff like that. I don't know if God's going to do it, but I know He can. I know he can't. I believe he wants to. I believe that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If God was done, we'd be in heaven. Jesus would have come back already. So that verse, it's not a promise for me to claim, but there are principles for me to learn about God in that verse. Don't throw anything out. God put that in there for you for a reason. Don't throw it out. And so when we look at a passage like this, even though you say, well, I'm not a pastor, I'm never going to be a pastor, I'm never going to be like that. But what is, this, what is this verse? God put it in here because it is a revelation of His character. What do these verses tell us about God and who He is and what He thinks of His church and what He thinks of the office of a pastor? What, what can we learn about God? Anybody interested in learning about God? Well, then every verse in the Bible is for you. If you're trying to learn about God. Amen. Because it all tells us about him, and so I want to zoom out. We're gonna, we're going to, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go through every line. It would take forever to go through every little qualification and give you, you know, a, a speech on every one of them. I'm not gonna do that. I told you, give me 30 minutes. What time do we start? I've been up for what about five minutes? I guess But there are some things about God. I want, I want. As we approach this text, that's what I, I want to look at. What, how, what can we learn about God? Because here's something. But you need from every passage of Scripture, you need to learn about God. And as your knowledge of God grows deeper, let me tell you what will happen. Your praise will go higher. Yeah. So this morning, I don't, as I you know, go through these verses, I don't expect for us to you know, swing from the chandeliers or anything this morning. But, but the more you know about Him, the more you know how to worship Him. That's the reason people's worship is shallow because their knowledge of God is shallow. And the more you know about God, the the deeper your knowledge goes, the higher your praise can go. And the stronger your love gets for for God. Because to know Him is to love Him. Amen. No doubt about that. I'm just going to organize my thoughts this morning under just three headings. First of all, I want you to look at verse number one. And I'm going to call it this. We see, first of all, God's scriptural position. God's scriptural position and I just want to point out obvious truth here and that is that God has designed a particular office in the church to function uh, in the church house it is a it is a job of oversight and it is a job of responsibility. The Bible calls it an office of a bishop. There is an office. There is a scriptural position that God has designed, and it is the office of a bishop. And God has always functioned this way. God is in charge of everything. You know that, right? God's in charge of this church. God's in charge of your home. God's in charge of you. He's in charge of everything. But yet, in our society and in the home and in our government, in our nation, and even in our church, God has established authority. And that's the way that God works. He puts earthly authority in place. Now it goes well. It goes right. It honors God when that authority honors Him. God has given us governmental authority. God has given us authority in the home. And God has also given us authority in the church. And that authority is to carry out the desires of God and be in accordance with the will of God, and that is exactly what we have here, this office of a bishop. I want you to notice that word. That's the, what the office is called, the office of a bishop. Now, that's a word we don't use much. I don't hardly ever get called bishop unless I got a preacher friend. I got one particular preacher friend that uh, he always calls me that, but I don't think it's a term of respect. I think he's making fun of me <laughs> what it is. We don't call people that. A lot of times when we think about bishop, we think about somebody with a big pointy hat, you know, wearing a, a dress like mama, but they call him papa, you know, and wearing some big red pointy hat. When I, I, mean, I think of a bishop, I think of a, a chess piece that can move diagonally on the chessboard. That's what I think of. Uh, we don't n- normally use that word bishop, but that is the Bible term for this office. In fact, there are three words in your Bible that really describe the same office, best I can tell. It's the same same office but three words, three descriptions. You have this word bishop. That word bishop, here's what it means. Listen to me now. It just means an overseer. It just means a superintendent. The bishop, that doesn't mean he's the boss. It just means he's been somebody he's somebody that's just been left in charge by the boss to make sure people are doing what the boss said. He is an overseer, a superintendent, that's what the word means. It means an investigator, that's literally what the word means. Somebody that is looking into things, looking diligently, looking over things. This speaks of the role of the pastor. He is, has an office that he is to be looking around and making sure that things are being done according to God's Word. And that's why in, a, in the right kind of church, everything is the pastor's business. Everything is. Now, when I say everything, I'm not talking about your personal life, stuff like that. I don't want to know any of those kind of things. I got more going on than I I can handle already. But what I'm talking about is the ministries of the church, the work of the church, stuff like that. It's his job. I know we have things that the ladies do, but guess what? I oversee that. I make sure everything's all right. we got things at the school. Brother Gary's over the school, but yet at the same time, I oversee that, and I make sure things are done right. We have different teachers in different Sunday school classes, but at the end of the day, it's my job I'm supposed to oversee and make sure what's being taught and things are being right and things are done right. You know why? Because I'm going to get the condemnation for it all one day. I'm going to be judged for it all one day. God's put me, it's like a steward. It's not, this church is not mine. You do not belong to me. But yet at the same time, God has put you under my stewardship. And I am responsible. I have to give an account for what I did with what belongs to God. And that's just how it goes. That's what the word bishop means. It means an overseer. The Bible talks about the pastor and his oversight. Acts 20, 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. 1 Peter 5, 2, he said, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. And so there is an oversight. That's what the word bishop means. The Bible also uses the word elder. talks about an elder and that is used interchangeably. If you look at Titus 1, you look at 1 Peter 5, he changes those words out. Bishop, elder, Titus 1 is well, Titus 1 is where he exchanges those words out so we know they're the same office. He references that in 1 Peter 5. We don't use that word a lot either because that makes us think of Mormons, I guess. But that speaks of his rank in the church. The man himself is not higher than anybody else but the office is. I'm not better than anybody. I'm not higher than anybody, but the office over which God, which God has put me in. That's what Paul said. He said he never magnified himself. Paul never magnified himself. He said, I'll gladly spend and be spent for you. I will serve you. Jesus got down like we learned this past week, got down and washed feet. And that's really what God really puts a premium on right there. But that office is worthy of double honor, all kind of things. And 1 Thessalonians 5.12, Hebrews 13.7, Hebrews 13.17 all speaks about those that have the rule over you. And uh, we ought to remember them. We ought to know them. We ought to obey them. That's what it says. And we've all seen any kind of authority is subject to abuse. Any kind of authority is subject to abuse. But that does not diminish God's design for the office. Just because governmental authority is abused and it's abused regularly, that doesn't mean God has not ordained government as authority. Just because home authority. We all know men that have been abusive and abuse their authority in the home, but yet that is still God's design and that is God's way. I'm not telling anybody to stay in a situation like that. You understand what I'm saying. But I'm just saying God, has, God doesn't look at men that abuse His word and abuse His plan and say, well, you know what? Maybe I should come up with a better plan. No, it's not God's word that's wrong. It's men that's wrong. And it's the same way in the office of a pastor. We've all seen this office abused, haven't we? We know what it's like for men to, to believe they can control people's lives and things that they do and, and, and all kind of things like that. And we've seen that office abused and they become, they become a manip telling people how to run every minute detail of their life. Can I tell you how much authority I have? You don't know how much authority I have? Only as much as this Bible gives me. That's it. I have no more. When this Bible runs out, I cannot exercise authority. Now, wherein this Bible has authority, I can exercise it. In fact, that's what Paul told Titus. He said, the things I'm telling you, he said, teach it and preach it, speak it. He said, with all what? Authority. He said, you have authority as long as you stay in this book right here. But when you get out of that book, you don't have any more authority. That's it. Now, you can solicit an opinion or or a preference or something like that. That's fine. I'll be glad to give them to you. Opinions are like armpits, right? Everybody has at least two of them. Both of them stink, right? what they say. Everybody's got opinions. The preacher does too. But well, that doesn't mean I have authority in that area. Amen. But we all know what it's like to see the office abused, but that does not mean that the office does not exist in its role. The pastor, here's what Peter said, they're not to lord over God's heritage. That's God's heritage. That's God's people. Not to lord. We ought to oversee serve rule over as far as what that means is as far as uh taking care of the house of god but you're not to lord over anything how many of y'all still with me it's my 30 minutes i think i got six more minutes in my 30 minutes and then i'll be on my time after that there's another there's another word for the office it's the word we use the most but it's only one time in the new testament isn't that amazing? The two words that's used all the time, we don't use them, but the, word that's used the, mo- uh, the words that's used the least one time, that's the one that we use the most. It's the word pastor, right? It's Ephesians 4.11. He talks about God has given pastors of the church. That just simply means a shepherd. That's what the word pastor means. It means shepherd. Now, the pastor is a shepherd in the sense that he has been given the responsibility of the flock. God calls the church a what? A flock. And so the pastor is what? He is The shepherd. Now that doesn't mean he's not a sheep, but that does mean God has given him shepherdly responsibilities to feed the flock, to be on the watch out for wolves. Acts 20, 28 says feed the flock. 1 Peter 5, 2 says feed the flock. He's to watch out for the wolves. That's what he says in Acts chapter number 20. Now he's not the chief shepherd. He's not the chief elder. He's not the chief bishop. But uh, he is God's shepherd for the church. Paul says it's a good work. And it's not in vain. I'm telling tell you something. I sat with Brother Cross just the other day at the hospital. And uh, I prayed for him. He wanted to pray for me, which I said, absolutely, I, I need prayer. And uh, he said, preacher, he said, I know what it's like. Of course, he pastored for all them years. He said, I know what it's like, the constant pressure and the expectations and all the things that's under it. He said, I know what it's like. I couldn't help. Just kind of break down a little bit and put his hands on me. and We prayed there together. And here's what he said. He said, it's tough. He said, look at me. And I know this, but I need to hear it. I need somebody to preach this to me. I preach it to you, but I need somebody to preach to me. And he did that day in that hospital room. He said, but it's not in vain. It's not in vain. It's a good work. There's a good reward. Can I tell you, anything you do for God is a good work. Anything you do for God is a good work. It's worth it. It's not easy. The work of God is not easy. People will crush you. They'll stab you in the heart. They'll stab you in the back. I've been hurt more times than what I can even tell this morning. I'm going to tell you something. I love Jesus. And I love His people. And for every every doofus that had a bunch of critical remarks, I've had ten that have been a blessing to me in my life. I ain't got no sad stories to tell. God's been good to me. It's a good, and I just want to say, it's a good word. One thing I don't want to be, I don't want to be a bitter old man one day. I've seen preachers that get bitter. I had a preacher tell me one time, he said, I'm going to tell you something. He said, here's what you need to do. He said, don't let them people get close to you. That's what he said. He said, don't get close to them. He said, don't let them get close to your heart. He said, all they'll do is just is hurt you. Now I'm telling you, that man, you know what? He's speaking out of experience. Try not to judge them too much. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're going to be around, if you're going to feed the flock, you've got to get close to them. And every now and then they're going, they're, going, they're going to bite your fingers. You're trying to help them. You're trying to love them. You're trying to encourage them to do right. They're going to snap at you. But you know what? You just keep on going anyway. Put a smile on your face and just love them through it. Amen. God, hey, God's going to sort it all out at the judgment seat. Ain't nobody getting away with nothing. I ain't worried about one thing. God will sort it all out. I just want to be good and faithful and do the work that God has called me to do. Amen. Amen. It's a good word. That's the position. Can I get, let me give you another one. Let me give you another little thought. What, what can we learn about God? Well, He has a scriptural position that He has made for the church. So another thing we can learn about God here is He has a spiritual priority. I want you to notice God's spiritual priority. Now, there's a long list. There's 16 plus, depending on how you count them, no less than 16 things that are mentioned in this text. I'm not going to go through every single one of them and spend a long time. I'll read through them here and kind of give you a a quick definition. But there are are 16 uh, qualifications, if that's what you want to... To put them that we look for. He says blameless. That just means above reproach. It's not perfect. It's above reproach. I'm in verse 2. The husband of one wife. Oh, Lord, I could open up a can of worms this morning with that, couldn't I? Amen. There's a lot of, thing, a lot of things. A lot of people have different opinions and all that. But I'm going to tell you what. It's no less than. That pastor is to be a one-woman man. And that's just logical, isn't it? He's to be a one woman. man he ain't other than anybody else. One woman for him. Vigilant, sober, good behavior. Vigilant, just on guard. Sober is a, is a clear mind, a serious mind. Good behavior. Man, be on good. Man, my teachers in elementary school never would have thought I'd be qualified <laughs> to be a pastor. I'm sure they are just surprised as anybody, because good behavior was not the words that were written in my report card. My mom's right here, you can ask her. Given to hospitality. That just means being willing. To, you see in that word hospitality, you see the word hospital? It means to help people. Be willing to bring them in close and help them out. Apt to teach. That's the only qualification that speaks of ability right there is being apt to teach. That means able, apt, aptitude. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean say, well, I'm apt to teach, you know. You better watch out. I'm apt to teach. I, mean, I know that's how we use that word, but that's not what it means. Able to teach. That means he's got to have a understanding of the Word of God. Right. Amen. 30 minutes are up. All right, y'all can leave now. Not given to wine. Well, That's an obvious thing, isn't it? Not a drunkard. Not striker. There's another one, not a brawler. We can put those things together. Not supposed to be... Listen, pastor's not supposed to be known as somebody that'll just smack somebody in the face when somebody makes a man. Now, I've wanted to do that. But I don't, if I start something, I don't think I could finish it, so I never, I never do that. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Amen. Amen. Not greedy of filthy lucre. You know what that means? Not in it for money. Yes, right. Not in it for money. It's not his motive. Patient. Ooh, man, y'all pray for me on that. Not covetous. Always desiring something else. Not satisfied, not content with what he has one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. and That's just a logic. Verse 5 gives us the logic on that. Isn't that right? If he can't run what has already been put in his authority, how's he going to run something else? If you can't be faithful over little things, God's not going to give you more. Isn't that just a logical thing? Not a novice. That means somebody that hasn't been saved long. Doesn't mean a young person, necessarily a youth it just means somebody that is new in the faith. Verse 7 talks about having a good, a good report of them which are without. A good testimony in the community. Now listen, I could have spent a lot more time on that, but let me tell you what I really want. Here's what I want you to see about the Lord in this text. That not one of these qualifications, if that's what you want to call them, not one of them speak of His talents. His looks, his financial status, his popularity within the congregation, his public speaking skills, his giftedness, whatever it might be, his spiritual gifts. Not one of them have anything to do with it. Paul tells Timothy, when you go to find a pastor, here's what you look for. Here's the kind of man you lay your hands on. What is the emphasis on? The emphasis is on behavior. The emphasis is on character. The emphasis is on motives. The emphasis is on maturity. In fact, I think those four things, I think you could take everything that we just read, these 16 plus items, and I think you can categorize them in those. how How he lives, his character, which those two are pretty tied together, his motives, and his maturity. You know where God puts the priority? I'm talking about God's spiritual priority. He does not put it on giftedness. He puts it on spirituality. That ought to tell... Listen to me. Y'all are listening really good, really good. That ought to tell us something about God right there. That ought to tell us that God is a God who puts... Priority and puts emphasis on spiritual character above anything else. Because listen to me, I'm going to move on. There's a huge difference between somebody being gifted and somebody being spiritual. I'm going to tell you, what, here's what we promote in our churches. Here's the people that rise up and become leaders and pastors and all that. It's people that are entertaining, preachers that are entertaining yep. and funny yep. and good looking. Come on now. And when we think, well, maybe their character, you know, I know there's a couple of slimy things about them, but maybe that'll catch up with them one day. God said, no, that's not the way this thing works. No, you don't elevate somebody in hopes that they will become something. That never works. I've tried that as a pastor. Try to give somebody a job hoping they'll be faithful. That's a bad idea. Don't do that. If you're an employer, that's stupid, isn't it? You're going hire, to hire somebody bad thinking, well, you know, if I give them this job, if I give them a raise, they'll do better. Nah, that don't work. And he's just paying them more money to doing, you know, doing a bad job. And the same way in the house of God. But there, there is. I'm telling you, I've been around. I hate to say it. I hate This is not the majority. This is not. This is the exception, not the rule. But I've been around some preachers that could preach the house down. Come on. Come on now. I'm talking about better preachers than I'll ever be. But in private, they're vulgar and they're nasty and they're filthy. They don't pay their bills. They don't treat their wife right. They don't care what their kids do and how they live. They don't control their home. Amen. How about that? Amen. Amen. I know in our circles the only thing. you got to be a man and you only be married one time. And then you're called. Qual- There's more than that. Uh, that's right. tell it, that ain't the only things. What about if a man gets up here? What, what about if he gets up here and he's, he's not that eloquent? What, 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 if he, what if he can't tell funny stories? but he's a man of character. i tell you what y'all do. Y'all ought to listen to him. Y'all ought to follow him. Because everybody, hey, your, your, your character will outrun your office. <laughs> I promise you it will. It always does. It always comes out. And there's, huge, there's a huge difference. People, people struggle with that. And I've seen that. Listen, I, I know I'm trying to wind down, but listen, this is, this is, this is a principle you need to learn from this text. I've seen, I've seen church members struggle when the pastor or somebody don't live up to all the things that they thought they were and things come out about pastors. I, I hate that. I hate that. hurts all of us when that happens. I don't even want the charisma. I don't want Benny Hinn to fall. I mean, I want him to shut up. But I don't want him to be in some scandal. You know why? Because people that are lost, they just lump us all together. We're just preachers. We're just church. Amen. All that with Jimmy Swaggart and PTL and all that back in the day, it hurt everybody. That's right. Not just the hucksters. Amen. That's right. That's right. I don't want anybody. I don't want any preacher to a scandal. But I tell you, people struggle with that. Like, how in the world? How could they? I'm going to tell you something. Just because somebody has a spiritual gift, that does not mean they're spiritual. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. Moses hit that rock in disobedience to God. Then people never knew it. All they knew is, ooh, Moses got us water again. Man, this is good. All the while, God said, I know what's really going on. There's a difference. I'm going to tell you what you ought to, ought to strive to be. ought to strive to be right and real in the sight of God. Amen. Because Amen. Amen. all these things we read about about the pastor, all that means is it he's to be an exemplary Christian. Everything we read right there, you know what that is? That's not the description of a pastor. That's a description of a Christian. We all ought to be those things, right? We all ought to strive for that. And you better be careful expecting something out of the pastor that you don't even hold your own life to. You better be careful. And I've never even got a whiff of this here, thank God. I've never even got a whiff of this around here from anybody. Even people don't like me. I've never even got this whiff of this from here. But I know preachers that struggle with it at their church. And that's where people expect things out of their kids that they don't expect out of their own kids. That's right. I'm going to try to rule my house well and have them in subjection and all that. I'm going to tell you what, my kids, they're just as carnal as yours. That's right. Amen. That's right. They're just as carnal as anybody's kids. Amen. Yeah. Don't expect out of them what you don't expect out of your own kids. Amen. 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 Right. Don't expect out of the preacher what you don't expect from a man in the mirror. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Man, it's been a great Sunday morning, hasn't it? <laughs> Whose idea was it to go through 1 Timothy on Sunday morning? This is Wednesday night stuff, you know. Tuesday night Bible study. I don't know. Just the Bible. Here we go. See, we got a world. They're looking for the souls. They're looking for somebody head and shoulder. They're looking for somebody that looks good, looks strong. But that's not what God's looking for. He's looking at, man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. He said, I'll take that David, boy, he's out there keeping it. He's just a servant out there with the sheep. He said, that's who I want to take. You know why? Because God looks at the heart. He looks at character. Man promotes all kind of awful characteristics in people, but God looks at the heart. And let me give you this last one. I'm I'm done. I really am done. I took, what, 10 more minutes. I'm going to take five more. Give us the last thing I see a principle in this text about God. I see God's scriptural position that He has ordained. I see God's spiritual priority. It's on character, it's on those things, not on external things. And then I see God's special protection. God's special protection. There's something that's very, of course, there's all these qualifications, but a couple of these, there's three of them that have explanations with it. I like, no, God doesn't always give us explanations. And He doesn't have to. God just tells us things to do. and You just do it because He's God, right? Right. In fact, you read through the Old Testament, a lot of times He just tells you, you know, you see a bird's nest, you know, with eggs and leave it alone. I am the Lord, you know, just build a fence around the top of your house. Because I'm the Lord, you know, just, you just need to do it because I'm God. You know, weird laws, just do it because I'm God. That's what you need to do. Oh, yes, sir. You're God. We'll do it because that's what you say to do. But then sometimes God gives us a reason. He gives us an explanation. He does with three of these qualifications. He talks about the husband ruling his own house, the man ruling his own house, children. And then he gives us one, verse 5, For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? That's a logical explanation, isn't it? That's just logic. But then he gives two more: one with verse six, and one with verse seven. Not a novice, and then he gives an explanation for that. Not, and then somebody that has a good report uh, in, in his community, and he gives us an explanation for that. Those are those two right there that really caught my attention. He brings up the devil in both of them. Do you see that? Can I just? This is not really what I'm trying to get at, but let me just point out: the devil's after your pastor. Anybody, and it's not that I'm special; it's the office. I'll tell you, it's the office because the pastor influences and has influence on people. So, if he can get the leader, what does that mean? He can get more people, right? And the devil's after you because of the people you influence as well. Amen. So, we see there's a, there's a bullseye on the back of the pastor. You need to pray for your preacher. I mean, we know that. But when he says these, he, these qualifications in verse 6 and verse 7, he gives some explanations. And what's amazing to me, when I look at this, I see the loving, special protection of God. It's that God has given us these commands of who can be and who cannot be in the office of a pastor. Not because... You can either look at it one or two ways. You can look at it as God is some exclusive club God. And He's only looking for the best of the best. And you got to be the best of the best. And you got to pass all the tests if you're going to be one of His. I don't know. That just really doesn't drive with the rest of the Bible. It seems like God likes to get the worst of the worst. Isn't that right? Or you can look at when God gives a command, when He says not this, or when He says no to this, you can look at it as God is a loving Father who's trying to protect his church and his people. He said, not a novice, right? Why doesn't God want a novice in that office? What does it say? He'll get filled with pride and then what will happen? Fall under condemnation of the devil. That's not the devil condemning somebody. That's the condemnation that the devil fell under. What was the devil's sin? It was pride. You know what God said? I don't want this novice in this office. Why? Because I love him. I don't want the devil to get him. I don't want the devil to get him. And if he gets elevated too quick, if he gets put in his position too quick, he's going to get lifted up with pride. And I love him too much for to let the devil get a hold of him like that. I don't want what happened to Lucifer to happen to him. So let's hold him back. Not because he hates somebody. Not because he's trying to keep somebody out. But he's holding them back. Why? Because he loves them. And he said, if they have a bad testimony, listen, they're going to hurt the church and they're going to hurt themselves. So why does God give these rules? Because He loves His people. And He loves His church. And every time God gives a no, every time God gives a parameter, every time God puts up a fence and puts up a boundary, He's saying, I'm trying to protect you. And I'm going to tell you where we need the most, some of the most protection in our life. It's not from this world. This world will hurt you. It's not necessarily from the devil. He talks about the devil. The devil will hurt you. I'll tell you where we need the protection from. We need it from ourselves. God is protecting the church from itself. You see that? He said, I love my bride, I love my church, I love my people, I love my preachers. I don't want to see them mess up. And so God, in His wisdom, in His gracious, loving, kindness, wisdom, He puts protection. He ain't trying to keep people out. He's trying to protect us. Because when the church reputation goes down, people die and go to hell. You listening to me? Does that make sense? When the church isn't functioning right, listen, bad things happen. Homes break apart. People never hear the gospel, all kind of stuff. And so God says, I got to protect. This is my special protection. I love the church. And so we got to put some parameters up. And doesn't that tell us something about God? That He loves us enough as a good father to put up some boundaries in our life. Now, if that's not applicable to all of us, I don't know what is. That's in there, isn't it? Can't you see God and his heart in these qualifications? Man, I just read that and I thought, man, what, what a great God that we have. God keeps us from sabotaging ourselves. Because <laughs> we would just, blo- I'm going to tell you something, we would mess this thing all up. That's why Man will mess everything up. Be it God, if we'll follow His will. And it's that way for your home. It's that way for your life. That's right. You'll mess everything up. But if you'll go God's way, and you'll do things God's, God's will, He said it'll protect you from some things. I don't want to be in the snare of the devil. I don't want to fall into the same condemnation that the devil fell into. So you know what I want to do? I want to try to stay in the Word of God. Don't we have a good God? Miss Maddie, I want you to come to the piano. I took an extra 15 minutes. And I thought about as I read this. Anytime God gives us commands, it really demands our submission. It's in everything, everything God commands, it's in light of the fact that God loves us so much. You see, there's two kinds of people in here. There's people that read what God says and they say, man, what a what a... What a, what a horrible God. I mean, He's just so mean and so restrictive. And, and just, man, He just, you know. No, 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 no. Boundaries are not to make your life miserable. They're to help us. So we need to fall in love with God and realize that God loves us. Why in the world would we try to rebel against the very one who's trying to protect us? I think that's a point that we need to ponder out of that text. Don't want to go against the one that's trying to protect us, trying to help us. I want to do things according to His will, according to His way. Uh, another point I think we need to ponder here at the end of this is that are you putting the priority on what God puts the priority on? How's your insight? How's your character? That's where God, That's what God says is most important. For, my, for the highest office in the church... This is what I want. That ought to tell us something what God says, thinks about, about these things. Right? What about you? How's your character? How's your behavior? Are you being vigilant? Are you being sober-minded? Are you being faithful to your family? Faithful to your wife? Faithful to your husband? How about all that? That's good. That's for all of us. Amen. And then that office... You know what I need? I'm going to be selfish right here. You ready? I'm going to need people praying for me. You ought to pray for whoever is your pastor. I don't care who it is at any time. You ought to pray for them. The devil's got a bullseye on them. Every, this, everybody's stressed out. The whole world's stressed out. I know that. I don't know what it's like to be anything else. I started a pastor when I was 20 years old, so I really, not really. I mean, I worked a few jobs, you know, college and, things like that. But I, all I've known is full-time pastor since 20 years old. I never, never got a break when I moved here. I, in fact, two weeks I pastored one church. It's the best week of my life. I got a paycheck from both places and nobody called me with problems from either place. That crowd said, well, he's going, I ain't gonna call him. And this other crowd said, well, he's not here yet. So all the way, I'll give him a week off. I always joke about that. But. I didn't have a break. We went from one we went from one assignment to the next. So I don't know how it is for everybody else's life and thing, but I know the pastorate is a pressure cooker. Expectation. Somebody said pastoring is disappointing people at a rate they could absorb. <laughs> I'm like, man, I feel that. If you're here, it's just because I haven't disappointed you enough yet. But stick around. It's tough. I don't want any sad stories or anything like that. I'm just saying, you need to pray for your preacher. That's why he says, know them which lay around, esteem them highly. Encourage them. Admonish them. He says, remember them. Hebrews said, remember them. Obey them, but remember them. Remember them. What is that? Remember to pray for them. That's one of the greatest things about our church family. I love when people tell, preacher, I'm praying for you. I can feel it. I know, I can, man, I know. Only way I've been here almost 10 years is because people have been praying for me. Because I've been through some quitting spots, not because of anything anybody else has done, but just my own failure. I look, I promise I'm my biggest critic. I look in the mirror and I I see a lot of failure. I see a lot of faults. I see a lot of flesh. Nobody in this room has ever criticized me any more than I have myself. But I'm going to tell you something. What it comes down to is this is a good work. It's a worthy cause. And God's a good God.